Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Debit card users, listen up. You've worked hard for your money. Now it's time to make it work even harder for you. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can get cash back on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Earn on things like gas, groceries, and even that midday latte. And to top it off, there are no fees, period. Yep, that means you won't be charged fees on your checking account. Transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank. Member FDIC. I do believe that it's healthy for my child to see that my happiness doesn't depend on her. Her life and her dreams and her manifestations, sure, may consume me at times, but they don't define me. But I think as mothers, especially because of that whole, you know, good girl syndrome, we believe that our identity is to be a mother first. And I, I don't do that anymore. I did till I realized how toxic it was. For me now, my main goal in life is to be me. Hi, I'm Rachel Hollis, and this is my podcast. I spend so many hours of every single week reading and listening to podcasts and watching YouTube videos and trying to find out as much as I can about the world around me. And that's what we do on this show. We talk about everything, life and how to be an entrepreneur. What happened to dinosaurs? What's the best recipe for fried chicken? What's the best plan for intermittent fasting? What's going on with our inner child? How's therapy working out for you? Whatever it is my guests are into, I want to unpack it so that we can all understand. These are conversations. This is information for the curious. This is the Rachel Hollis Podcast. Hey guys, it's Rachel, and today's Mastermind series is just for the mamas. More specifically, those of you who are mothers and are trying to balance motherhood and career, or motherhood and a side hustle, or motherhood and you're getting your degree, like you're doing more than just one thing. It's so freaking hard to be a mom already. But if you're trying to be a mom and trying to be great at anything else, it takes a whole other level of intentionality. And today we're going to hear from some of my favorite guests in six plus years of doing the show who had really insightful wisdom on what it is to be a working mom. You're going to hear from Dr. Shafali, writer, director, actress, Catherine Reitman, you're going to hear from Luzma Doria, who is the showrunner for one of the biggest TV shows in the world. You're going to hear from my friends at Good Moms Bad Choices, and even a snippet from a panel discussion I did at a Rise conference with some powerhouse working mamas. So I hope you dig this episode. If you like it and you know any other working moms that you think this might be helpful to, will you please share it? Will you send it to them in a text or throw it up in one of your Instagram stories? But do the word to get the word out into the world. There's some really great wisdom in this episode, and I'd love to use it to help others. I, I grew up in LA. I've been an actress most of my life. There are certain boxes that I have. I've always felt I had to fit into um, on top of just like feeling like I had to abide by some sort of expectation of my family. I fell into those traps and even that it, it really came to be even more so. And what I noticed was when I had my child, I was like, I, I would, I had always smoked weed prior to that, but the moment I got pregnant, I was like, oh, well that's going to end. And then I had her and I was like, oh, I can't do that anymore. Like, oh, I can't. There, I, I decided I wasn't allowed to do certain things anymore. So that is why, like, when I met Jamila, like, it was really, like, a. she reminded me of 
you can still be a mom and not let these parts of you die. Right. I think you have to fight <laughs> ferociously for your life. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I just think I think you have to be willing to get uncomfortable and think outside the box and know that people are going to tell you that you're doing it wrong. But you have to be so committed to your own pleasure and your own peace and your own happiness and exploring what that is and what that looks like at any cost. And sometimes that means telling friends, hey, I know you know this other version of me, this old version, but this is who I am now. And if you don't fuck with it, <laughs> it's cool, but I'm going to. I'm going to hit you later. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I've done that. And I've literally had this conversation like right now, I like myself more than I ever have before. And if you don't like this version of me, that's fine. But we can get the kids together sometimes. But for right now, I'm going to, I'm going to back out peacefully. Right. And it's worked for me. And I think it's uncomfortable. And sometimes we don't want to have those conversations or we don't want to look like the mom who had the threesome or the mom who smokes weed or, you know, even for me, like there's certain merch that I won't wear into my daughter's school. <laughs> but then I'm like, I'm a superstar. I'm a fucking rock star. You know, I've always kind of been like a rebel with the cause. And I am the cause. Because I... God, that's good. That's a good line. That's <laughs> a good line. I am who I am. And, you know, sometimes I've, I've definitely wished I could be different, but I literally cannot. So it's just like, hey, I might be dancing topless at the pool party. I might be, you know, whatever it may be. It doesn't, like, you, like if you are judging me based on these very small parts, portions of me, then that's more a reflection of you than it is to me. Right. And unfortunately, I'm sorry, oh, unfortunately, women, moms, we've been so tricked into believing that we're supposed to fit into this box. A part of the resentment of that is kind of projecting it on each other. Amen. You know what I mean? All day. It's like, oh, you're, I'm not having fun, so you can't. I mean, and, and this goes back to this when I saw Jamila on the in yes. Instagram. And yes. I was just like, who does she think she is? Yes. And it was because who... I didn't think I could be that. Yeah. It's, I just saw this the other day, the idea that jealousy is a signal. Mm. Like you, it, you would never be jealous of someone who has something you don't. I think what we've learned, um, through spending a lot of time with women because we do women's retreats now. So oh, we yeah, do, I saw that on the website. Yeah. The, we have a, another little baby called the good vibe retreat. And so we take not just moms, women, it's just a women's retreat. Although there are a lot of mothers that come, um, out of the country. So we go to Costa Rica, Mexico, um, and a lot of these women have never been away from their kids ever. Their kids are like 15 years old, some right. of them. Like, cause right. the age ranges from, I'd say like 22 to 60 is the age range of our retreats and never had to like, had to make decisions all day long, all the time, like literally can't relinquish control. And so they come to our retreat and everything's planned for them. Cause that's, that's the goal too, is to kind of like, just lay down the bags and just exist mm. for five days. Yeah. Let us handle everything for you. Like, don't ask when the appointment is. You'll get a text. <laughs> Relax, yeah. you know? And a lot of these women have never spent time by themselves to even ask themselves certain questions. And I think that as women, we make a lot, and mothers, we make a lot of excuses. And this is not to, because I think this is a triggering topic for women that don't have a lot of support, right? They're like, well, I can't. I don't have a nanny. I don't have a family. I don't have these things. And it's like, yes, those, all those things are true. But if you really want to dive in and figure out who the fuck you are, you'll figure it out. Just like you figured everything else out as a mother, you will figure it out and your kid will be okay. I really do feel like when you start to choose yourself, like the universe opens up and conspires in your favor. And um, we went, we got this book deal because we just released a book uh, last week called A Good Mom's Guide to Making Bad Choices. Yes. <laughs> um, but, you know, that was kind of like divine too. And I was like, I can't believe someone's giving us a book deal, like Harper Collins. <laughs> and I was, and then we made this choice. We're like, we are, we have to go and write this book in two weeks. And <laughs> that was stupid. And then, <laughs> the dumbest <laughs> shit we ever thought. <laughs> but we had this excuse to go away for two weeks. Yes. We're writing a book. We're working. So we can be moms who take two weeks off. Literally, if the book hadn't happened, we would have never taken given ourselves permission to take a two-week break. We literally went on Airbnb, found the most rural places in the deepest of the jungles, and we're like, these are the places we're going to write a book. And when we got there, I literally, I think I remember talking to Erica and being like five days in and being like, 
It took me five days to start the vacation. <laughs> I finally feel relaxed. And yeah. I kept telling her, I was like, oh my God, like moms need to do this more often. I was like, it should be mandatory postpartum, like six to 12 months, giving the baby to your partner for two weeks minimal <laughs> and getting the fuck out of there. <laughs> I was like, we need to normalize this. We need to call it like a postpartum moon or something. I was like, I was really adamant. <laughs> you know, and we we're like, we should bring moms here. We should bring women here. And then... Literally everything opened up that way. We went to an another side of the country. I met a friend I hadn't seen in a long time. She was about to go host a retreat on the other side. And she was like, you guys should host a retreat. And I was like, that's so funny. We've been talking about that. And then I sat down next to someone watching the sunset. And she was, I was like, what do you do here? She's like, well, I, I've run retreats for the last 10 years. And I was <laughs> like, huh. And I literally said, I said, I've been looking for you. Yeah. And that's kind of how everything works out for us. Like literally, I want this. And then the person that you need to help you do it sits next to you. Absolutely. And, and I'm a friendly bitch. So so I'm starting conversations <laughs> with everybody. What's your name? What high school did you go to? <laughs> you know, and like we made that decision right then. We booked a ticket to come back before we even left. We had this like money that we had put, you know, got from this book deal that we didn't expect to get. And, yeah. and we and when we got the book deal, she said, this is going to be, it was like our first big check, you know, and, she, and this was like three years ago. And she was like, and I told her, this is not, this is the first of a bunch of big checks. And she said, yeah. And then we decided to start that retreat there. And in the last year, we've gone up, we've taken over 100 women out of the country and cool. done at least six retreats. Oh, right. And so it really just like blossomed like that for us. And honestly, we couldn't have done, written the book without first doing the retreats. It was almost like, well, you're going to do these retreats with women and be in the trenches with women like you that are not like you because you need to understand the bro a broader picture of motherhood, not just your own perspective, but really a broader picture of what this what this looks like, and then you'll write the book. Absolutely. <laughs> then you'll have the tools to go cater yeah. to these women, and you've done enough mushrooms, and you've frolicked <laughs> around naked in the jungle long enough to offer them the gift. Yeah. And, that, and that's really what it is. It's like we curated a, a very unique experience that was like, A, nurturing women so they won't have to make any decisions, and they can just exist so they can figure out what the fuck they like mm -hmm. and use their voice and, and, and you know, rebrand themselves if they so choose, but also just like a bunch of unconventional healing that we mistakenly took on that like, you know, uh, really ignited our healing and our blossoming and then kind of curated that into an itinerary to offer it to other women so they can like take a stance in their identity and in their existence too. Or else, you know, I think, you know, women need permission to take a break. And the truth of the matter is, is literally being, it sounds cliche, but like being who you are and honoring that and serving yourself is the alignment. And when you start to honor yourself and your, your highest being, then everything in the universe is going to do the same thing because it's, you're showing it. This is how I, I, this is what it looks like. This is who I am. It's like, you can't meet your mate without being who you are. You can't find that perfect job if you're not like honest about who, what you want to do or who you are. Everything starts with you. And if you are like not serving yourself in that way, the universe is going to send you bullshit. Yeah. I think that <clears throat> I'm, um, because we've had been able to in invite and um, call in so many things, I'm hyper aware of how my nervous system reacts to things. And and I think if you're listening to, you know this feeling. We just often reject this feeling. Our nervous system, our our, our anxiety, our heartbeat, um, the way we feel when we leave a person is generally like the biggest clue of whether or not, you know, it's it's meant to be or it should be. And now because we've had so many amazing successes and we've built this incredible community and, you know, we've had all this alignment, I think that you know, anything that kind of jeopardizes that, even like I've recently leaving a relationship that I know wasn't really fully like the nervous system. I felt it in my nervous system. And it got to the point where I was, I was like, I have to let this go or it's going to start affecting other parts of my life. Like my business. Yes. Like I will, my business will suffer and not yes. even because I'm not going to show up to work or like he's interfering with anything like that. Yeah. It was just the flow of my life has been flowing so fucking fabulously. And I'm going against the flow right now. Yes. Putting a boulder so in the stream. I'm, so I'm yeah. actually like hyperly, I'm almost like terrified about, yeah. about it. And but then sometimes it's like, okay, am I tripping? Like, Sometimes relationships are hard, you know, you got to work through shit. Like sometimes it will be uncomfortable. So, but you generally know what is 
tolerable, what is a you thing, and what is just this is not. Yeah. This isn't working. I am taking my four children away this weekend to go skiing. And I think if you're a parent like me, you understand how important it is to have a kitchen available to you when you have four kids, which is why Airbnb is always the place that I head to just make the vacation easier. And I have always used Airbnb as a place to stay, whether it was for work or family or a girl's weekend. But more and more, my friends are using Airbnb in a totally different way as a business, as a way to invest in property and earn money for it. While you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and it's a great way to earn some extra money. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Almost every morning of my life, I have oatmeal. Seriously, during the winter, having something hot in the morning really makes a big difference in my day. Quaker has been a trusted name in oatmeal for over 145 years, which means they've been milling oats since before the invention of the zipper, the stop sign, or ballpoint pens. Quaker has something for everyone, whether it's old-fashioned or quick oats that are good for cooking or baking. And while a ton of things have changed, the good stuff remains the same. Quaker, getting up to some good since 1877. Look for Quaker Oats at your local grocery store. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. How did you get to the very first, like, you're greenlit, you have a show, you're doing this thing in what at the time you thought and maybe executives thought was a niche category. There's so few working moms in the world. I'm sure no one will relate to this. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it was kind of crazy making, right? We had, uh, got pregnant, had a child and I never thought I was going to be a mom. My husband basically (laughs) convinced me. Oh, wow. He was like, I promise I'll have your back. You can do this. I was a largely out of work actress at the time. And we decided to have a kid, and thank God, because Jackson, both of my kids are the best. So we definitely have our challenge kids okay. that are directly tapped into right. all of our issues. How long did it take you to figure out that that's what it was and not that you were a terrible mother? Well, that's a great question. Um, I keep talking to my friends about this, about this whole selfish thing, you know, and I used it earlier, but it's like this phrase that's got these negative connotations because there is some... Someone, someone waved a wand at some point and said that we were just going to get pregnant at five years old like you right. and give birth right. and be instantly maternal. Yes. And know how to just flip the switch that was the person we were in college right. that was developing and nurturing ourselves towards some sort of dream job. And that's just not the way it is. It's not that way. I'm not that way. No I way. still am like, I still, and I find myself leaning on music that I was listening to more in my developing years because it reminds me of her. Of her. Yeah, that's right. And rad. when I'm with my kids sometimes, it's really easy to forget that because you naturally have to be incredibly selfless just to get the job done. Yeah. Yeah. Just to get through bedtime. Yeah. Doing this show. So the quick origin story is that I gave birth. I went back to work too quickly. I went back to work six weeks when my, my Oof, son was six weeks. Yeah. And I didn't even know I had postpartum depression because even 10 years ago, believe it or not, people weren't really 100%. talking about We didn't have it. Instagram giving us a reel of That's someone right. explaining. Yeah, we didn't have it. That's yeah. right. There was no one saying it. Um, 
And in fact, I went to a mommy and me group where I was like, you guys are all failing, right? You're, <laughs> you're scared to drive. You're scared to drive with your kids. Everyone's scared. And no one was. They looked mm-hmm. at me like I was nuts. And there's a scene in the first episode of the series where the character Frankie, played by the genius Juno Rinaldi, says, you guys ever drive and just wish that a car would hit you? Not to kill you, just to, you know, put you in a hospital for yeah. like 10 days, yeah. brain dead vacation. Yeah. And I said that to this group of moms. And they looked at me like I was insane. And I shut down. I stopped talking about it. And at six weeks, when Jackson was six weeks old, I went back to work. I had this thing that was clearly eating me alive. And my husband said to me, you got to write this. You got to do something with this. Because we were watching tons of TV, tons of movies. We couldn't see a three-dimensional, flawed, working mother character anywhere. Not that it was of substance. Right. We, I wrote eight pages of something. We shot it with our friends. It was universally passed on in America. It's always the way. <laughs> Took it to Canada because I'm a dual citizen. My parents are Canadian. Okay. And sold it to the CBC, specifically Sally Caddo. Shout out. My fairy godmother who watched the sizzle and was like, we're making this. We're making this for 13 episodes. Wow. Changed my stars. And the other crazy detail is I found out the day before that green light that I was pregnant with Liam. My little panda. I mean, there are so many extraordinary moments in our life that have trauma in them. Yeah. Why aren't we allowed to identify this one as? Right. And I think it goes back to that whole selfish thing. Yeah. I think it goes back to this is something that we're supposed to do relatively quietly. I mean, we're literally drugged just to keep it quiet, right? And, You're so right. And then we're supposed to get through it as quickly as possible. We don't discuss it. When's the last time you went to a dinner party where moms are talking about the lack of sleep or the, you know, it's just, it's not deemed pleasant conversation. Yeah, yeah. And I can't tell you, I mean, working moms has so many moments that are deeply awkward in it. And they all come from truths, not all mine, some from writers in the room. And I have... So many strangers, so many relatives. The, I the, bet. Look, the majority of people feel seen and are incredibly complimentary. I'm really, really lucky. I mean, there's trolls, but few and far between is the truth. Yeah. They're usually talking about my mouth or something that makes them uncomfortable. <laughs> the show itself, they they love. Yeah. But there have been like, you know, an uncle here and there. Or my husband's family. Not, not My husband's family is actually largely huge fans, but, you know, extended bunch. Right. Who will comment on like... Why make that scene? Yeah. Or what's the point of it? Even, even the nudity I do in the first second. Yeah. Which is so symbolic for me about what the show is all about. And them commenting on, like, my nudity was for them as opposed to for me. Wow. Being able to control my own nudity. Like, there was no, no consideration of that. It was purely just, wow. why would you want to put that out there? And it's like, why am I putting any of this out there? Yeah. For this exact conversation. Yeah. I just got an email before we sat down and did this that one of my kids had a great day, and I felt higher than a fucking kite. I was like, you did good, Catherine. Like, it has anything to do with me. Anything to do with me. But his wins are my wins, and his losses, I should have done something. You know what? I shouldn't have given him that breakfast. I I shouldn't have. I know. know. Have you had any moments where you shot something that it was cathartic then to have that? Every episode. Every episode. Every fucking episode. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Is it ever like, this is how I wish I would have handled it in the moment? Uh, sometimes. You know, it's that Larry David thing where I get to say the things I didn't get to say. Yeah. But also, usually when Larry da- David says that, it reverberates and there's a disaster as a right. result. Right. He gets right. in trouble. Or, yeah. So it, it usually leads to very entertaining story. Um, but the people pleaser in me won't do it. Yeah. In yeah. real life. How's, I'm not afraid that... of the rush anymore just because everything is rush. Mm. Always concerned that, my God, I hope we're executing this properly. Less scared of that, I guess, only because I can see until it's live on Netflix or wherever your streamer is. Like it, there's so much time to respond, meaning we can do a lot with very little. Yeah. So that's always given me a lot of, and my husband and I use that just in our day-to-day life of like, all right, we got to slow down to hurry up. Let's slow down. Let's take a breath. Three breaths. I bet you we have the, we have some clarity yeah. on what to do. So we've gotten, and I think that comes from production life. It's your time. Join global thought leader, executive producer, and New York Times bestselling author T.D. Jakes and today's leading culture shifters for an experience unlike any other. At the 2024 International Leadership Summit, spiritual and business leaders can gain the practical tools they need to maximize their timing for success. With world-class discussions, breakout sessions, and networking opportunities, this is where your dreams turn into reality. Timing is everything, and your time is now. March 21st through 23rd in Dallas, Texas. Register today at thisisils.org.
Like most of us in our generation, I too thought that parenthood was something that would come naturally, intuitively. You just have to be loving and have some patience and you and kind of financially secure. And I had checked all those boxes and I would be fine. However, once I began doing two things, first, I became a clinical psychologist and began working with parents before I became a mom. And I realized, oh, this this parent is checking off all the boxes and that one is doing the same thing, but they're in deep shit, right? They don't know how to do this thing and they are in so much trouble. However, because I had not yet become a mom, I had this superior attitude that psychologists have in abundance as well (laughs) and non-parents, right? We're so superior. We're like, oh, this parent, even though they check off the boxes, they're just not doing this right because they're just, you know, inferior. Then I became a mom and everything just fell apart, really, because no matter how many boxes I checked, I checked even some extra ones, like a meditator from the age of 21, uh, a clinical psychologist. I had three bloody master's degrees. And by like the time my daughter was six weeks old, I was done. I was like, okay, it was so nice knowing you and thank you for the experience and go back like wherever you came from. I just couldn't do it emotionally, psychologically. But then I felt so much shame for all the reasons of my checking extra boxes, I had no one to talk to and it wasn't talked about. And so I I plowed through, I plowed through, but by the time she became like a human who had needs and an attitude and an opinion by the, you know, 12 month mark, when we begin calling them terrible twos for a good reason, I was just not doing this right. And I then had a come to Jesus moment where it hit me that all my meditation on the mat and all my psychobabble to all my clients and that ego that I was battling in my spirituality was actually showing up here in parenting. But no one talked about the parental ego. So I was like, am I the only human who is so evil that she has this big ass ego with her kid? Am I the only cruel, evil mother who's so deficient that her ego is showing up and her daughter is not even like two years old. And I felt guilt. But then upon doing deeper work, I realized, wow, this is the best kept secret. Like no one talks about this thing, this monster called the parental ego. So I began to talk about it. And I began losing all my clients. I began, like, my income went down. My, my husband at that time was like, hello, this is not good for business. You do not tell a parent that they have an ego. And I, I just had such a spiritual metamorphosis, though, in my own motherhood. I knew this was the truth that was not being talked about. And that's what I, when I wrote my first book, The Conscious Parent, which really was met by crickets. No one, I think maybe two people bought it for the entire first year. But then one brave mother, and it was the women, I have to say, and another brave mother began to call me, write to me and say, oh my goodness, you're right. It's my shit. It's my crap. It's my ego. It's the way I am looking at this being in all the wrong ways that is creating the dysfunction. And then, you know, then Oprah picked it up and then, you know, I would like to say the rest is history, but it continued to be, it continued and continues to be an uphill battle. Parents to realize that their dysfunction and their disconnection with their children has nothing or very little to do with the child and all to do with themselves. So that's been my journey. And I practice conscious parenting. Uh, you know, a bit a bit late. I, I discovered it by the time my daughter was two or three, began implementing it. So she's my guinea pig, I tell her. And uh, I'm so grateful. And I've, I've, I've saved a lot for her therapy. Um, <laughs> but, I, but I have been able to salvage quite a bit because of the power of conscious parenting. There is a way out of this madness called parenting, but it can only be through conscious parenting. I mean, I just, yeah. I just don't see any other way. The ego, as I talk about it and few others, is the self that we create 
to get the love and worth that did not come organically in childhood. So when we are born, I like to think of ourselves as the most whole, where we come to manifest who it is we are without any compunction, without regret, no guilt, no shame. We're just ready to be. And if you and you have, but if your readers have observed their very young children, very young children just are. They just are in their own organic authenticity and they are in the moment. But culture has told us that that is simply not good enough and we need to do to become in order to receive trust, approval, validation. Now, that is where the rubber meets the road and the child quickly, because the child knows it needs to survive, quickly realizes it needs to trade its authenticity in this barter and exchange program uh, for connection, for survival, for its needs to be met. And the degree to which it does that trade, you know, the delta between who it organically is versus who it needs to become is what determines its initial disconnect and determines on how, you know, it's based on how conscious its parents are. We all grow up with a delta, but how wide that delta is between our organic authenticity and the egoic false self that we have to put on, the masks that we have to put on, that delta determines how messed up we are in life, you know, and how long our search will be to come back home to our authentic selves. So the ego is a representation of all the masks we have to wear, the mask of pleaser, the the super compliant one, the obedient one, the silent one, the achiever, the comedian, you know, the superhero, the savior. There's so many masks that we wear in order to desperately hold on to the shards and crumbs of worth that we believe we need. Actually, we don't need any of it, but of course, in childhood, we do. So that's where the foundation gets... Uh, cracked and then the crack just becomes an abyss and a void sometimes too deep by the time we're in our 30s and uh, now we try to fill that void but we don't look inward because all our life we've looked outward so we fill it with you know the prescription pills or the addiction the substance abuse the relationships looking 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 for that which was our birthright but was stolen from us so that's what conscious parenting is is about a severe deconstruction and an awareness of how we have taken on prescriptions of culture that are lies and that are toxic especially for for parents you know things like uh, i'm only as happy as my least happy child you know that's total bullshit you know, you should be least happy child. What nonsense is that, right? It's codependent, but, that, yeah. that, right? but it sounds so noble, you know? Uh, or like, oh my goodness, I can't live without my kid. Or, you know, so, you know, when I was dropping my kid off to college, like that was like my, 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 my moment, you know? It was my moment. But no, I had to act like, oh, now, of course, I was going to miss her. But I was not dying. But every other parent was looking like they were dying. I was like, come on. This is like, let's go and have a drink. We made it. But culture, you know, demonizes the mother, especially if she has her own authentic spirit and life. But that's really healthy. Like my, I do believe that it's healthy for my child to see that my happiness doesn't depend on her and her, her life and her dreams and her manifestations, sure, may consume me at times, but they don't define me. But I think as mothers, especially because of that whole, you know, good girl syndrome, we believe that our identity is to be a mother first. And I, I don't do that anymore. I did till I realized how toxic it was. And I debunked that. I shed that. And for me now, my main goal in life is to be me <laughs> and right. to be more authentically myself, because in that is the health that I set others free from, because I'm free of them. They are free of me. And that's liberation. And that's true connection, where we're not identifying each other's emotional well-being on the other. So we truly use our children, quote unquote, as substances to distract us uh, until they leave the house and then we're depressed. That's the prototypical trajectory of the woman who hasn't given herself the gift and the liberation to explore her own identity outside of it. So right. we become these over-involved, over-controlling, over-helicoptering parents. What, what we don't realize is that, yes, our kid may see us less, but what they're seeing is a very fulfilled human being. So we have to do a slight trade-off where we can be absent, 
but so present in our own bodies and our own joy versus being present 24-7, but absent of joy and presence, right? So there's a trade-off. And when we, of course, our children are our first priority because they need us. But as they become six or seven, it's really important to to end that enmeshment and create individuation. So to expect rebellion, right? So like you said, we want our children to be joyful. We also want our children to be empowered. But that empowerment means they will separate from you. They will individuate from you. They will rebel against you. They will defy you. They will say no to you. They will they will call you on your bullshit because that is the empowered adult, right? Who can call bullshit. But we don't want that. Because we're so insecure that that means we will be null and void. But actually, when we are convinced of our own belonging, of our own self-belonging, then we allow defiance and are actually not even rattled by it, but we welcome it. We honor it. We, want, we, we see it as imperative when our children are flying and, and leaving the coop. So... Adolescent rebellion, toddler rebellion, you know, whatever word you want to call it is actually healthy. It is natural individuation that absolutely must occur in order for our children to understand that they are their own being and they are not us and they don't live for us. But we need to give them those keys to set themselves free and uncage themselves. And most parents have their tentacles into their kid's psyche. Uh, There's a doing and there's a being. Conscious parenting is focusing on the being, but that doesn't mean we don't do. So we pick up the garbage, we, you know, flush the toilet, we brush our teeth. And the problem with many families is not that they don't know what the doing is versus the being. The problem is there's too much doing. So, yeah, you know, you can have a few doings uh, in the in the day. But if you stack up your kid with a lot of doings, like, oh, now we're going to separate the winter clothes from the summer clothes and the kid is four years old, you're going to get resistance. <laughs> Because the kid can't do too much, right? So you have to, there's doing, but keep it, keep it within the developmental age appropriate. Hi, guys, I am Mally Ronkel. I, uh, I always used to say I'm a celebrity makeup artist, mm-hmm. but, um, which I was for, M for many years, but I also have a brand called Mally Beauty. <laughs> Thank you, love you. Uh, which is a cosmetics line I started 14, oh my gosh, 15 years ago on QVC, which is a shopping channel. I grew up, you know, in the Catholic church and, and, you know, wanting to be a doctor like my parents, but I always had this passion, this, this thing in my mind that I love beauty and fashion and women and girls. I'm a girl's girl, man, to the core. Like, I love all of it. And, uh, uh, but, but I always wanted to be like my parents. And I said, well, I'm going to go to medical school. Well, I, I, I got there. Oh, it was not for me. <laughs> no. I was like, they had the body. I was like, can we just put lip gloss on them? Because they could use a little help. Um, but, but I said, you know what? I, I'm going to stop all this. I am going to uh, follow my passion, and I'm going to go into the beauty world. That said, I'm 47 years old. This was many, many years ago before they had YouTube and beauty schools and all that stuff. So I literally just hit the road. I went to every job. I did everything. But I, and, and by, you know, hustle, yeah. I ended up getting all these jobs and meeting all these people. I lived in New York City, and I just weaseled my way in there and got gigs. Well, next thing you know... I mean, it's kind of a long story, but then I'm standing in front of Beyonce. I love, I love that that's the, the arc. Yeah. Like, I just got in the door, and then Beyonce. Yeah, I wasn't really like... She has a book. You can yeah. read the full journey. <laughs> it's, that's kind of... But the point is, in with all that, I never went to beauty school. So I never uh, got a license. I never did. So that is the number one reason why I probably shouldn't be, aside from the fact that when I decided I wanted to start a makeup line, I didn't know how to do any of that. I didn't know about production. I didn't know. I just knew that I knew what women wanted and I knew I could sell it to them. That was all Mm. that I knew. 
But other than that, all the other stuff underneath that everyone tells you you have to know, I didn't know any. And so I guess I'm going to go. What's up, guys? I'm Lisa Billiou. Um, I was a housewife for eight years. I was brought up a very traditional Greek family. I was thought I was going to be a housewife and a mother. Um, I stumbled into entrepreneurship and purely by accident and took the company co-founder of Quest Nutrition. If anyone's ever had a Quest bar. Um, so took that company from zero to a billion dollars in five years. Billion. <laughs> billion with a B. And we were announced as the second fastest growing company in North America. Um, we realized, though, that to create real impact, you can't just focus on the body, you have to focus on the mind. And so to ignore the mind was to in, uh, ignore well-being in general, because someone may grab a Quest protein bar if they're already in that space. But if you're anxious, if you have depression, you're not going to be going to the gym, you're not going to be getting um, a healthy bar. So we decided what was the answer to that, and that was empowering content. So my husband and I started a company called Impact Theory, which this woman was on if you haven't seen the interview go check it out um, and we took that company from zero to over three million um, people in our ecosystem within two and a half years wow. <laughs> so even though I had all these big dreams about being in the movie business and I want to be the first film filmmaker or female filmmaker to win an Academy Award um, I ended up getting married and kind of slipping into what I'd been taught my whole life. And so I, for eight years, was a stay-at-home wife. And I don't think that's bad at all if you choose that. It's just, for me, I didn't feel like I had chosen it. I felt like I was kind of put into that place. Um, until my husband came home one day and was like, hey, we're starting this company. Do you mind just giving us a hand? I was like, sure, you know, I wanted to support my husband. So we're cutting Quest protein bars with knives and rolling pins, and we're literally sealing them by foot one after another and um, he's like would well, you mind just shipping them because we're all busy so it's like no that's no problem so I'm shipping them from my living room floor um, not recognizing or not realizing we would go at 57,000 percent so when you go from shipping bars you're making 2,000 bars a day by hand in eight hours to making 1.5 million bars a day um it really was, I almost didn't have a chance to stop to have that negative thought in my head take over. Mm -hmm. And because our house was on the line, so if we failed, I lost my house. So when we started the company, we're like, do we do this? Like, if we're going to go in, we're going to go all in. Because for me, I'd rather take a chance and fail than be 90 on my deathbed and wonder what if. Yeah. The one thing I want to say is my husband and I, we already started five different companies before that. We'd started a real estate company, a photography company, a website domain company, and they all failed, but we all learned something from it. So when it came down to Quest, we really believed in it. We really believed that we could help people with the product we were creating. And so we said, okay, well, this is our all in. And what does that look like? So we put up the house and we said, if we lose, we bought equipment that was $100,000. All the, like my husband's business partners, none of us could afford it. But we went all in with the belief that we were going to make it work. And I think that that was the biggest catalyst for me. Mm -hmm. It's the belief that you have. I didn't know anything. It's like a child that doesn't know how to walk. They just figure it out. Yeah, sure, you're going to fall. But eventually you get back up. But we've lost that as adults. And so for me, it was like, just keep going. Yeah. You're going to fall, you're going to fail. But if you can keep going, you can learn. Anyone can learn anything if they set their mind to it and put the time and dedication to it. So the question is, what do you want to learn? So in two years, I went from, I was the boss of my two puppies at home to, right, to 40 employees underneath me, um, 10,000 square foot of um, warehouse, and I was um, overseeing $80 million in inventory. Wow. And that was all in two years. Now, the, my message though is, I'm, I don't think I'm anything special. I just stuck with it and I focused and I realized that right now I don't believe in myself, but I could, I could do it. And I had to change that mindset and that belief system that I had in myself. And that's what got me there. Yeah, love that. We pray. Hi, I'm Luz Maria Doria. Uh, I came to this country 35 years ago. I wanted to have the life that I have now. I'm a, a, a journalist, I'm an executive producer of Despierta America, the Univision morning show. It's like, good morning, America, but we dance. <laughs> <laughs> We're Latin. I became an author four years ago when I celebrated my 50th birthday because I wanted to be a journalist, but I was full of fears. 
And I thought that success was the privilege of someone else, that I, I, that I won't, wouldn't be able to make it. So I, read, I, I wrote a book called La Mujer de Mis Sueños, The Woman of My Dreams, because, because I became the woman of my dreams. Mm. And, and I'm going to tell you something. I, I should be sitting there. I was Rachel fan. Three months ago, I, I, read, I read their books. I also, my, my last book that I was published last year, I wore sneakers because she was wearing a sneaker in the cover of my book. I didn't know her. I didn't know her. Two, three months ago, yeah. we met in Miami. Yeah. One month ago, I was sick. I have a virus. I was in bed. I opened my Instagram account, and I found a text message from her inviting me to be here. Yeah. So everything is possible. Yes. Well, thank you. Thank you. Why shouldn't you be here, Luzma? Well, because journalists are not like me. Yeah. Journalists yeah. are very, they have courage. I was full of fears. I was very insecure, but I wanted to be a journalist. And, and I remember in Cartagena, Colombia, it's a small city, 40 years ago, I received Cosmopolitan in Spanish. Mm. And the editor-in-chief of that magazine was Cristina Saralegui, who later became the Hispanic opera. And I start reading her, and she empowers me. So I said, I'm going to Miami, and I'm going to study journalism there. And one day, I will meet Cristina. Mm. We have a friend in common. You look how small is the world. And I asked my friend, please tell her I want to work with her. She gave me the job when I was 21. Mm. When I was 24, well, she became my mentor. Very important lesson. You have to, you can, you can uh, get more things in life when you have a mentor. Yeah. And she became a mentor. When I was 24, she created her own magazine. I was the editor-in-chief at 24. <laughs> oh, my god! was gosh. crazy. Now I say thank you, but she was crazy. <laughs> a friend of mine told me that, do you want to work on television? Although she has her own show, I wasn't in television. Mm -hmm. I was in print media. Mm -hmm. I didn't know anything about TV. Mm -hmm. And I say yes. Yeah. yeah. And she told me, you know, you're smart enough. I will teach you things And thank God, I became executive producer. That wasn't from Des Despierta America. It was before, uh, after. And I started learning. You have to prepare yourself. You have to study. If you have a passion for something, you have to study. And, and then seven years uh, ago, uh, they took me from that job that I had to be the executive producer of Despierta America, who's the number one show. I, I didn't want it to work there because I'm not a morning person. <laughs> before, I had told my mom, poor people who work there, they don't have a life. Their Sundays are shorter because they have to go to bed earlier. Yeah. One after, I, have it, I was having that life, and it has been the happiest um, time of my life yeah. where, I can, where I can say that I've learned more. So if something you don't know or, or you think you don't like goes to your life, let's try it. Maybe that's the thing that you need to grow. I have this, and I'm pretty sure we all have it, this voice inside of you that tells you you don't have time. Who are you to, to write? I have written two books now. Who are you to write a book? You know what I did with that voice? I kill it. <laughs> Okay, if I create that voice, I create another one. So I kill that, I kill that. Ooh, that's good. On my phone. I create another one who's supporting me, who's telling me, go get, get, get what you want. Get in. I, was, I had fear of flying. Now I have to take a plane almost every month. Yeah. Um, I was petrified like you to be on a stage. Now I am, but I can, like, you know, I, I disimularlo. I don't know how to say that in English. It's like, make sure. it. Fake it. Fake it until <laughs> you make it. So yeah, fake it until you make it. So let's do it. I think it's equally important to know how to say yes than to say no. Mm. I was also a people pleaser. And I was scared to say yes because people wasn't gonna love me. Weren't gonna mm. love me. I have to say yes. And now with my last book, my last book is about the, the way we use our time. And I've learned that that you have to do exactly what you want to do and you, have, you're, you don't have to be scared of saying no because maybe your agenda has 45 things that you have to do, but at least 20 are not going to take you anywhere. Just yeah. to say yes because you wanted to, to please.
So, and is that, uh, is that something that you've learned over time or were there mistakes that happened that, that taught you that lesson? I knew, I knew that I was doing a lot of things that I didn't have to just Mm. to please. What were some of the changes that you made that you feel like have made life more fulfilling for you? Okay. The first thing now I'm more fully present. Mm. I used to be overwhelmed thinking ahead. I have to do that. No, now I'm speaking to Rachel Hollis. I'm enjoying this moment. And after that, I have a meeting and that I will have another meeting, but this is my, my focus. You have to do that thing that you don't want to do is the thing that you have to do first. I love like that. on the to-do list. Yes. The one that feels the hardest, Get, exactly. knock that out. Yeah. And she also told me, Luzma, when you're in a meeting and you start uh, speaking about things that doesn't have anything to do with that meeting, the meeting is over. And that's so true. I've always been very grateful, but now I realize I wasn't grateful enough. Mm-hmm. I remember my last vacation, I, uh, we rent a house in the Bahamas and it was beautiful. And I remember myself walking at the beach, nobody, just me and my husband. And and I've never thought that was the, the last vacation that I was going to have in almost two years. I didn't know right. I was enjoying my last vacation. So, right. So now I'm like very um, grateful for everything because I say, I don't know if, if this is the last time that I'm, that, I am, that I'm receiving this. When I first wrote my first book, my dream was about to help five Colombian women. I even put the nationality, five. I said, if I help five, I will be more than happy. Never, you know, nothing happened in my city. With this book yesterday, the University of Cartagena, like the city where I'm from, invited me to talk for the communication student. And yesterday we had a Zoom with 93 students from Cartagena, oh. where I'm from. You cannot believe how happy and grateful I was because my dream was, you know, came true because of this book, not because of yes. one, not because of the second one. There were like with this one, that is like, the, it's a virtual book. So you yeah. never know who's going to help, who, who you're going to help and when. I think there is a divine, the, the universe always have a divine plan and you have to follow. I knew that I was going to be a journalist and I want to have the life that I have now. But I, I worked so hard, but I didn't say at 30, I'm going to be working on TV. My life has been like three or four turning points that change it. And, and I think that now that I look back, it, it, it was, it was a, a, a God's plan for me, but also I worked so hard to have them. You know, mm-hmm. now I, I, I can say maybe when I'm 60, I am 56. I want to be doing, I, I, I'm going to be doing uh, documentaries. That's something that I want. I never thought of, of, of being an executive producer. I wanted to have this life and to be in control and to have a, um, you know, like to be like the bridge between audience and news and, and to, to tell stories. I'm a storyteller. I didn't even say television or print, but, but uh, you know, Somehow I I landed there. The Rachel Hollis podcast is produced by me, Rachel Hollis. It's edited by Andrew Weller and Jack Noble. It's your time. Join global thought leader, executive producer, and New York Times bestselling author T.D. Jakes and today's leading culture shifters for an experience unlike any other. At the 2024 International Leadership Summit, spiritual and business leaders can gain the practical tools they need to maximize their timing for success. With world-class discussions, breakout sessions, and networking opportunities, this is where your dreams turn into reality. Timing is everything, and your time is now. March 21st through 23rd in Dallas, Texas. Register today at thisisils.org.